regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins. And right over there is our co-host. What is going on, Dr. K? Oh, I'm better than I deserve. How are you doing? 2021, man. We made it. We made it out of the craziness of 2020. Well, not that there's not still craziness going on, but here we go. First episode of hopefully 52 in 2021. Welcome to the new year, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I feel totally confident that everything is going to be perfect in 2021. So <laughs> glad we made it through 2020. I sense a little bit of sarcasm. So uh, I read a I read a good book recently. I want to tell you about it. And actually made a couple of posts in the in the online course community, our Facebook group, which is which is right at about a thousand people now. So if you haven't checked that out, if you're listening to this, a lot of podcast listeners are, are there. Search up the online course community on Facebook. Go to theonlinecourseguy.com and click on community at the top, and uh, you can join the conversation there. But uh, read an awesome, awesome book from six to seven figures. That's the name of it. And I've made a couple of posts. So you've seen me talk about it, man. Did you did you pick up a copy yet? Have you dived in? Dive, yeah, <laughs> I did dive in. Um, let's see here. I well, I got a Kindle copy, and then within five days, you put out and you said, "Hey, it's available on audiobook now." So I returned the Kindle copy, and and I'll get the audiobook uh, within the next few days. Nice. I love, man. I love audiobooks. That's my primary way of consuming uh, book content. I, I do, I do appreciate Kindle versions as well. I've got one of those really nice uh, Kindle Oasises. Man, I'm struggling with like plurality today. Uh, maybe it's an Oasis, but it's the really nice one. And so I read this book on my Kindle Oasis. It was really nice. Very, very quick read. Pretty short. Very succinct sections. The the subtitle is. Uh, simplify your business, gain your time back, scale faster than ever. So you haven't read it yet. This isn't like a fiction book where I could be possibly spoiling something. Let me just give you my synopsis and why I enjoyed it so much. The core concept is that the things that you do in your business, and and look, we probably have a lot of six-figure course creators that listen to this podcast. Very few seven-figure course creators if I had to guess. So the point of the book, the overarching point is the things that you did to take you to build a six-figure business are not the same things that you need to do to go from six figures to seven figures. To get to six figures, there's a lot of grit. There's a lot of working long hours, just brute force. And the things that that the author Austin has has found that work best to go to seven figures are systems. Like that's the big thing is systems, and then also team. And in the book, he actually walks you through very specific systems that they recommend. Why systems are so great? Like they systematize as much as possible, and then they also talk about how important a really really great team is, and they they even go so far as to walk you through their exact hiring process. And just to give you an example of that, which they do differently is 
when they go to hire somebody, they don't just post your standard stuff on a zip recruiter or whatever. Like they go about hiring much like we as course creators think about going about like selling a course. They'll make a landing page, they'll put a sales video, why somebody would want to come work for them. They'll have a one call to action button to apply. And then that whole process is very automated um, in terms of getting applicants responses like onto a spreadsheet to make it so you can easily review. They'll even run ads. They'll pay for ads to run uh, to run ads to their that landing page where they're advertising the job. That's how important they that's how much importance they place on actually hiring and, and finding the right people for them. What do you think about all that? Well, I mean, it sounds great. Obviously, I've read books like E-Myth Revisited and so yeah. and, and some other ones that, that kind of highlight these same things. But yet I respect your opinion enough to say like, OK, this must frame it in a different way or or have specific steps that I'm like, OK, I'm intrigued. I love short and simple and like sweet to the point. Right. And that's what this book is. It's, it's not a long book. It's to the point. And it's not that anything, any one thing is like crazy revolutionary, but when you put it all together, to me, it just makes sense. It's like, okay, I've got, I've got a high six figure on the edge of seven figure online course business. And I, and I totally resonate with what they're, they're saying. And going into 2021, I really want to do a better job of the systems for sure. We're, we're pretty good at it. We're getting better every day and reading this triggered some new ideas there. And then the team as well. And I want to go through this this hiring process and see how it works. You know, I, I haven't mentioned yet, but the reason I read this book is because of, I think it was episode 160, Abby Ashley, right? Pretty recent yes. episode. This company, 2X, is who Abby's, uh, that's that's who she uses for her coaching, like who who she's using to, to help scale her business. And she's already at $2 million yeah. per year. So they have a coaching program that... Uh, that Abby mentioned, but they also have a ten dollar book. You could start there because not every. I think she said it was like three thousand dollars a month, which for her it's totally worth it. But not everybody can afford that for sure. Right, man. I, I, I'm excited for you to get into it because I think you could even apply this to your in person chiropractic business. Oh, for sure. Yeah, systems are huge. Growing, growing the team, it's everything. There was also something in there called um, their seventy two hour rule that was really cool. So. I measure a lot of things. We talk about something called KPIs, key performance indicators. That's important as a business owner to look at KPIs every now and then. Course sales. Uh, for me, I look at podcast downloads. Uh, I look at you know how much of my traffic comes from SEO. There's like 15 different KPIs I look at. And one thing in the book was they actually look at a reactivity as a KPI metric, meaning that their team should be working very proactively and not reactively. And so what the 72 hour rule is, is that as a team, like you should never request something for from somebody else and need it back within within 72 hours, right? You gotta you gotta plan better than that than that. And I thought that's mm-hmm. really cool. And they measure that. If they, if somebody needs something within 72 hours, that's something they measure as the reactivity within the business. Wow. How do they measure that? It's powerful. Well I think if they just I don't know specifically, but in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if somebody does need something within 72 hours, then they'll, they'll do it. But then that's, a, that's a, a demerit or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, how many times did we break the 72-hour rule this month, this, this week, this month, this year, and so on? Mm-hmm. 
That's my understanding. Yeah. And just getting everybody on the team to constantly be thinking like, okay, we had this, this thing didn't go quite right. How can we develop a system where it doesn't happen again? And that's constantly something I talk about with my in-person team is like, here's this thing that went wrong. I'm not like, not blaming you at any level for what went wrong in the past. I just want us to get into collaborative mode to figure out the system where, where we get it right in the future. Yeah, exactly. And so if, if somebody is constantly coming to you needing things last minute, and you can, you can be like, look, I need you to stop asking for things so last minute. That's a very vague request. But they have a system in place where it's like, look, if instead you could be like, we have the 72-hour rule. And as a part of the team, I need you to abide by this rule. And it's not a vague request. It's like literally to the hour, like don't mm-hmm. request things with, within this. And I think that's just one example of, of the system and the team working together. I haven't really implemented much from this book yet, but as we go into the new year, it was, I feel like, just the right message at just the right time for me and my business. Very nice. So speaking of the new year and whatnot, did you make any resolutions? Um, or better better asked, how do you feel about resolutions? Is that something you're for? Um, yeah, I, I'm for it in the sense of, of, yeah, just any time that you get a chance to really be in the mindset that you're going to improve your life, you should. But no, I haven't chosen any specific ones just yet. Learn piano? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, January's usually... I've been playing guitar. Oh, good. January's usually the best month for my online piano course business, I would assume because of New Year's resolutions. But I'm not not a huge fan in general. I don't think we need to wait till a new year to try to make, um, make better habits for ourselves. I usually try to set yearly goals, but I've been... Uh, I haven't actually read this book yet, but have you heard of The 12 Week Year by Brian Moran? No, I haven't heard of that specific book, but I have heard of the 90 day kind of goals. Um, yeah. Yeah. Same, same concept. The The point of that is simply that a lot of times it's more effective to to break things down into quarters instead of years. I think we've talked about that on the podcast even. And I want to be doing more and more of that is thinking in terms of what are we going to accomplish this quarter versus this this whole year. And so that's going to be uh, one of my focuses. But overall, I mean, one of my things is I would like to read more uh, books. I think there are uh, just so many people out there that are so much smarter than me that I can learn from. And um, I haven't been reading a ton, but but reading this book was, was awesome. I'm reading more uh, as well. So other than that, just keep keep chugging along into 2021. Nice. Yeah. You sent me a message yesterday that you said that you were going to have a goal of reading 52 books. <laughs> You're considering setting that goal and uh, then talking about one each week. And uh, I was a little pessimistic over here. I was like, might want to set a goal for 12 um, to actually talk about on the podcast, but maybe land somewhere in between. There's a fine line between pessimistic and realistic. And that's why <laughs> yeah. I came to you and I was like, I was proposing and I wasn't saying here, David, this is exactly what we're doing. Cause I would love, I love the idea of mm-hmm. reading 52 nonfiction books in 2021, but can I do that with all the other stuff I have going on? It'd be, it's very hard to commit to right now. I've read basically one. We've talked about it. Let's find out next week if I've read another, if not, maybe it'll be an every few weeks type of a segment where I just give my little book review. Sure. And one of my concerns was finding 52 great books. So you might end up you might end up with doing a disservice to the great books because you're spending time trying to make it through some mediocre ones. 
I just do not think that would be the problem. There's just so many books out there that I want to read or even reread. Like if I go through 52 books this year, I promise you one of them will be Expert Secrets. One of them mm-hmm. will be Story Brand, just like the ones that I want to keep reminding myself of the great principles in certain books. So that's not my concern. My concern is just making sure I have five to 10 hours a week <laughs> to dedicate it to reading a new book. Right. Well, so last week I got to do my first virtual lunch and learn is my little update. So again, Mm. uh, my course is how to do lunch and learns and health fairs for in-person businesses. And that kind of got shut down with the pandemic. Now, the ironic thing, I'm super comfortable going and speaking in person. And I know that a lot of people in in this podcast audience are comfortable going live, um, putting their content out there. But the thought of going and speaking in person would probably still make their blood pressure and heart rate spike huge. Um, For me, like, it's just so nice when you're in person, you can see how people are reacting, you can see when their eyes kind of glaze over, and know that you need to to add something in there, some comedic element or in person. I mean, at a certain point, if somebody's starting to fall asleep, I can go and like stand right next to them, like a foot away from them. And like instantly that person is, is perked up, they're back awake, or I can demonstrate somebody on the manager that's sitting in the third row. I can be like, hey, stand up and let's demonstrate this on you. And everybody starts to pay attention. Um, Doing it virtual, I wasn't able to see my audience at all. And that threw me for a loop. It was like, oh, man, I hope my jokes are making people laugh. Um, The thing that I would say for the listeners is getting, if you're trying to develop a course, maybe you've got version one out, but you want to make version two better. Somehow being able to see how your content goes on a live audience is a huge help. Um, That could be asking your family like, hey, can I do this webinar for you live? And you're going to see where their eyes glaze over. I mean, you're going to see, okay, I went one minute too long on that point. And you'll see their eyes glaze over and you make a note of that and you make it better. And if you ask your family, like, hey, would you sit through this 45 minute webinar? And they all are like, oh, my God, no. Like, clearly you have your work cut out for you. Um, but Jacques, you've done that. You, you actually taught a group, not live in person, but through a Zoom. And yeah, that gave you feedback about where you were going too long, correct? Yeah, it was it was invaluable. And to your point, like what I did was a Zoom with eight other people and it was it was a nice nine person grid and it was all it was like we were all just hanging out. And as soon as I said something or did something, somebody could immediately stop me and be like, Hey, wait, show me that again. Whereas, you know, you you compare that to like my weekly live streams that I do for my piano students, they're just chiming in via via the chat, right? They're not actually on camera. I can't hear them or see them, and that's a totally, totally different vibe. And you're not getting that direct feedback. You're not getting the tone when people say things. And it sounds like maybe that's more of the format you did for this this live presentation here recently. Yes, I couldn't see a single person's face or reactions. I was just talking to the webcam. But they were were they chatting at least? No, because no, I mean, there were time constraints. And so I basically it was largely a presentation. So I just had to imagine that my my jokes were landing and I did have multiple patients come in. And so they were like, yeah, it was an, it was, they were like, it was one of the best presentations, but I heard about that three days after it happened. But see, if, if it's going to, if you're going to do it that way, you might as well just have a pre-recorded video that you're airing for them. I mean, if there's going to be no interaction, then what's the point of even presenting it live? Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> the company invited me to come and talk to their team and, and their team loved it, but yeah. Just, just, um, just playing devil's advocate there a little bit, but it sounds like it went well overall. I know you were a little nervous going into it just because it's different than you normally do, but it sounds like it went well. 
Yes, it was a success. All right, let's, uh, shall we talk about Mike Greenfield? Definitely. The conversation of the day, Mike Greenfield. Were you familiar with him before, before this conversation? Had no clue. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people are, right? He's got 2.2 million subscribers on YouTube. Um, I, I wasn't either, um, you know, my assistant does a lot of the, the finding of guests, not everybody, but, um, you know, somebody like Mike Greenfield, I wasn't familiar with, she found him, we made it happen. And so just a couple minutes before we started recording the, the conversation that you're about to hear is when I met Mike Greenfield and, and I was doing research before the conversation and I was like, holy smokes, this guy has had an MTV show. This guy, he's, he had a show on another network. Like he's been doing this for years and years and years. Huge following, huge Instagram following, has the blue check mark on Instagram. I was like, this guy is big time. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Not that that's the requirement to come on this podcast, but I like to hear all the different perspectives. And, um, and we'll talk about some of the details here on the back end. But it was that, you know, that's kind of what happened for me as I was leading into this conversation. And it didn't disappoint. Mike's a great guy. He's doing some cool things. He's got a little baby now too. So it was a lot of fun. Shush, you ready to hear it? I'd love to hear it. All right. So without further ado, here's the full conversation between myself and Mike Greenfield. Mike Greenfield, welcome to the Online Course Show. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you, get to talk to you. You got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you're, you're, some people might consider you a celebrity even. I don't know how you feel about that word. Oh boy. But... A YouTube celeb. I mean, <laughs> my brother, like, I think one of the most genius things my brother ever said was that the world is getting to a point or there will be a point where everyone has some type of celebrity status because everyone with social media, they have their own brand or, you know, their own followers to the point where, and I, you can see this happening now. I think he called it like years ago where being a celebrity, just the value is kind of gone. And it's starting to happen now where it's like everyone, you know, you have an account with a thousand followers, like you're a celebrity in like your own way to those people following you. And I think um, it's the world is changing and the idea of celebrity is changing. Yeah. <laughs> what if we just define it as verified on instagram can we yeah. can we define it as that that could be it for sure yeah so i'm verified i'm celeb status on instagram do you get like recognized in person very often you know it's funny because post covid that has not happened since covid when i was living in new york it happened pretty often um it also depending on like where i was like i started realizing you know if i was in a farmers market or like a whole foods you know my my um potential for being spotted was went up like a thousand percent. So like, depending on the demographic, if I'm buy food, you know, markets or something, but COVID it's like, everyone's wearing a mask. No one's interacting. Yeah. Also I'm living out now in Long Island. So I don't really, yeah. I'm, I'm just like in my neighborhood. Has it gotten like pre COVID? Does it start to get old? Like I can tell you, I've been recognized like in the wild twice and, yeah. and both times, like my head got so big, like this is, <laughs> I'm like, I've made it. Like people have recognized me once was about a year and a half ago. And then, and once was more, more recently when I've been in, in other cities. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you've been recognized far more than two times. Like, has it gotten old at all? I, I don't think it gets old unless you're like Johnny Depp, you know, like, yeah. then yeah, the you're rock. like, yeah, <laughs> like, and you can't do anything and then it's a nuisance. But for me, 
The biggest thing is, you know, also what you do for people. Cause for me, I'm educating people on how to cook. So ultimately if someone recognizes me and they say something, I'm like, oh, this is cool because I probably inspired them in some way on, on how to cook. So like, it's not this like, oh, you're an actor and like, I know you from the movie screen, but that's not actually your real role. And you're this big like celebrity. Social media is a little different. It's more intimate. So I've never had an experience that I didn't enjoy, that I wasn't happy about getting spotted. And it definitely didn't happen enough where I'm like, oh. like, <laughs> you know, and it definitely got to my head probably a little bit every time for like a few hours. Um, and yeah. Yeah, that's that makes sense. It's it's different than when we think of like just your A-list celebrities. Maybe it's hard to just be in public at all because you're just constantly getting recognized. I know the two times that I'm talking about, both times it was it was like paying students, people that had yeah. signed up for my program. Exactly. And so they had they had seen hours of content, me actually teaching them piano. So they felt like they knew me really well, even though I didn't really know who that person was. Yeah. So I'm sure those experiences were all great and, you know, and felt somewhat personal. Like you had a, a real, like somewhat of a real connection, not just like, again, you're some actor and like, you yeah. know, you're in this big movie or yeah. So I, I always in, enjoy those. But again, it's been, it's been a while. I'm all right with not getting spotted anymore. It's, it's fine. So this is called the online course show. So obviously we talk about online courses, but we don't have to just uh, limit ourselves to that that topic. Obviously we we've gotten off the rails a little bit already. The audience here, just for, for your benefit, it's it's course creators and aspiring course creators. So I'm a course creator, you're a course creator, you're you're more than a course creator. So we'll talk about courses, but we'll we'll talk about other things as well. But let's kind of start with with courses and see where it goes. With with everything that you've done, when did courses come into the picture for you? So yeah, I was you know pretty much making a living in on social media. You know, my brother and I when we when we had a, we had a show together on TV, so it was always that style of content, hosting cooking shows, you could say, educating and entertaining people through cooking shows, and that's what I always aspired to create. And once I created that, especially on YouTube, you know, YouTube's such a unique platform, I start putting out content. And I think what I realized at some point, I started putting out fermentation content. Um, and I was one of the first people on YouTube to really put some high quality production and education into fermentation. Whereas before it was, um, you know, the hippie in the basement making kombucha in like five parts on their iPhone or whatever. Um, so. I started getting into it and I'm like, I'm very inspired by this. I love it. I didn't know that other people would enjoy it. I didn't go into it thinking that it would do well on YouTube. It was just, um, usually that's the stuff that does do well when you're just inspired. And I started putting out content and fermentation is, well, I guess specifically with sourdough, I put out a few videos on sourdough and um, I kept getting the same questions over and over again. And, you know, from being a sourdough baker and getting so into it, I realized, okay, YouTube isn't necessarily the best platform. It's a great starting point. And I've, you know, I've got sourdough videos with millions and millions of people that have seen it and probably have gotten into bread making. But again, these same questions kept coming up, you know, or I, you know, I watched your video a hundred times. Like I would get that. I've watched the sourdough video a hundred times trying to like get it right. 
and I'm still struggling. Um, so that's when I think I started having this idea of, well, maybe, maybe I could create something bigger where I could just focus more on the educational aspect and get out all of the information. Cause for something like sourdough, I would never, you know, do 40 videos on YouTube or an entire video just covering the science of sourdough because YouTube has a specific marketing setup and you need to stick to that if you're going to create a successful channel. You don't have to, but that's what I choose to do. You know, I've got to play the game of YouTube. And um, if I'm playing that game, I'll never be able to get out the proper information. So that was the beginning of like, let me, let me just go in and take some time off of YouTube. And also just do something different. That was fun and exciting after just being, you know, creating content for years and years. So I made a course on sourdough. That was kind of, I knew nothing, you know, I didn't know how to make a course curriculum. I knew nothing about marketing at all. And I just kind of went in and took the risk. And that was uh, phase one. YouTube channel started what year the sourdough university course came out, which year? So YouTube, my brother and I started the channel Brothers Green probably 2013. And I think Sourdough probably came out 2017, I'm guessing. Yeah, because it was about three years ago. And when you when you decided, okay, I'm going to make my first online course, at that point in your business, you were making... It, it was a business. Like, Where was the majority of your revenue coming from yeah. before the courses? So we had an interesting run... Again, so just for for people that don't know, which I'm sure a lot of people, my brother and I had a show together called Brothers Green. We had TV shows. We had a YouTube channel. I recently, about a year ago, year and a half ago, took over the channel and rebranded it Pro Home Cooks. We split um, creatively together. We're still still brothers, still friends, (laughs) but um, just decided not to be in business after like seven years together or eight years, or it was a pretty long run. So we started on Vimeo and then we got picked up by this official cooking channel of YouTube that got us into YouTube. That channel ended up going out of business. Then we started our own YouTube channel finally. And we also had a show on MTV. So there were a few different revenue streams coming in at that time, but mainly after the TV show was over, it was our YouTube channel, which was bringing in, you know, AdSense and then branded, uh, branded deals, branded sponsorships on those videos. So that that was the business. My YouTube channel isn't isn't big enough to to have any experience with um, like branded deals, right? I, I certainly yeah. make some from ad revenue, but my end game is to get my viewers to then eventually buy my course. Yeah, um, I've got like eighty thousand subscribers, which is like one one hundredth of of yours. That's not um, bad. That's, I mean, that's a solid group. <laughs> it's it's most of my traffic to a very, very healthy business, but yeah. my entire business model is the course, right? Yeah. Whereas for you, it sounds like, is it fair to say that at this point in time, ad revenue, sponsorship deals on videos plus course revenue, is that kind of the big three for you? That's the big three. And you know, it's it's interesting because I mean, every business is always evolving and shifting and mine has changed so much. And especially in the last year as I've taken over the YouTube channel and rebranded, and I'm still figuring out the the flow of those. I know that those right now are the big three, but it's like figuring out the balance of those things where you want to put your effort. But yeah, to, to answer your question, um, simply that those are the big three. 
Well, I'd love to talk about the sponsorship deals and let's let's get back to the courses because yeah. um, I don't have any experience, like I said, with the sponsorship deals. So, so how, how does that usually work? Like, do you reach out to people? Do you have somebody in your team that reaches out to people or are people constantly coming to you asking if, if they can make a deal with you? For the most part, people are reaching out to me. There are times where, you know, I, I just say, I really love this brand. Let me reach out and see what happens. I have an agent, so they would generally reach out or just through Instagram. Instagram is one of the best ways to connect the brands. I might tag someone and just kind of put it out there and then they might come back at some point. But most of the time, it's a brand reaching out to me um, because they've seen the content in some form. Yeah. And is it typically just like a, a one-time fee or do you get compensated based on how much the video ends up getting viewed? How does that work? Generally, it's... Um, yeah, no, I think all sponsorships are different. For me, I like working within the confines of, you know, this is a one-time fee for this, or it's like, you know, we want you to produce three videos and here's the fee. I don't really work with uh, view counts and, and things like that. Some brands will, you see this more and more, they they want to require like you hit a certain um, amount of, of views but that doesn't mean they're going to pay you less or more. It's just like, all right, you might owe us something extra. But I generally just do, you know, here's what we're going to pay you. And this is what you need to do. Okay. And at this point, over 2 million YouTube, YouTube subscribers still consistently putting content out there. Do you ever release a video that is not sponsored by somebody? I do. Um, and... I definitely do. It, it depends on the time. It de- you know, it's like the season of of branding, and you know, when things are are hot and brands are coming in, it, it might fill up my production schedule. But you know, moving forward, that's actually something I want to focus on. Really figuring out a tighter production schedule where I'm just doing straight up releases, releases that are promoting my course, and then branded content. So again, it all comes down to balance. I've made a lot of mistakes in the past branded content and with just how my production schedule works. But this is the type of game I'm in and you just kind of live and learn. All right. So let's go back to online courses. You get the idea around 2017. First course is sourdough, I guess, because you kind of got into this with with uh, fermentation. Yeah. And so you wanted to start, start there. You, you said you didn't know what you were doing. Like, how did you even go about idea, no idea. to actually launching the course? What were those steps from you? I think the beginning was just intuition of like, all right, um, I'm making a, a course on sourdough. Like I know how to produce content. So that was a bonus. I knew how to produce content, which I feel like a lot of course creators, you know, maybe they're coming from the opposite perspective of like, maybe they know how to do the marketing or, you know, the curriculum or something, but like the production could be a tougher aspect of what they're doing. So for me, I, I knew how to produce content, could tell a story. Um, and just kind of started putting together a curriculum, you know, it's sourdough. So it was like, it was a nice first course because it was simple enough. You know, <laughs> you follow, this is what you need to know, the equipment. And then I put in stuff that I was interested in science and, you know, milling flour. So like a few other extra elements to the course. Um, and then just the process of making it. And I tried to do it in my own style and, you know, just keeping in mind of the soured. And also like I was learning along the way and getting more confidence because that was a big thing when I went into it. It's like, why, why should I be teaching people how to make sourdough? I'm not an expert. <laughs> so I would go to like 
I would go to um, baking classes and things like this. And they actually gave me more confidence because I realized like I, you know, I, um, I did a little uh, internship with this bakery. And what I, what I started to realize was like, all right, you can be the best baker in the world, but you don't necessarily know how to teach it um, or teach it in a way that someone's going to go out and try it. So that like was very helpful for me to just just kind of go in with this attitude of like, all right, I'm not here to be the ultimate master in sourdough. I'm here to get you over some type of barrier. So I'm sure, you know, maybe it's similar with you um, with the piano course. You know, I want I need to be the best at getting you over your fears so you go on your own journey in some form because that's what all of these things are, all these skills, piano, sourdough bread. There is no perfect way to do it, but if I can get you started, you're hopefully going to become obsessed. And then, so like, (laughs) that's what I tried to do. And that's what I kind of learned over time as a teacher and just went for it. And then as far as like, I made the course, knew nothing about marketing, started (laughs) reading, of course, started reading books. And then I was let me, working. Let me, let me stop you real yeah. quick, Mike, because I want to I want to dig into that a little bit. And then let's talk about like what it looked like to actually launch it. But what you just said really speaks to me because I know you don't know much about me, but yeah. I, I don't have any music degrees. Like I, I'm not I'm not a world class pianist. In just fact, quite, that's I, I could tell I'm like, I bet your course is probably a similar attitude as mine. Yeah, for sure. Like I don't I don't have all these credentials to teach piano and it's 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 interesting to hear so many different people, yourself included, that that have the same limiting belief. For some people, it lasts like a minute. For some people, it lasts very years. Like, who am I to teach this, right? Who am I to make a course on this subject? And I think that's a big sticking point for people. You had it. It sounds like you got through it pretty quickly. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think certainly the, had it. My timeline was not super quick. Maybe, maybe that sounded quicker. It did take me time. I think I made the course with like my attitude of just like, let me make a great course. And then through like marketing, figuring out the price of it, that's when I started getting probably more insecure. And then I realized maybe like within a year of like, okay, this is my role. This is what people are paying for. And that's valuable. So I did need some self-esteem building over time to, to get to that point. Okay. Well, you got there, obviously. and I got there. Um, you, you didn't have to know every single last detail there is to know about making sourdough bread yeah. to, to launch your course. You just you had something, you had information, knowledge that you knew that a lot of other people didn't know that you were able to package up and sell in a digital product. There's um, a book, I'm sure you, you, you know it, uh, Think Grow Rich. It's like the original- um, Yeah, Napoleon Hill. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, there's a page, I'm reading it for the first time. There's a page in there um, early on, and it, it's talking about the, this idea of knowledge and like, you know, to, to get rich, to um, be successful. It has nothing to do with like how much knowledge you have. It's really about how you package that knowledge up, how you share that knowledge with other people. And it's just like when I read that, I'm like, that's like so spot on. You know, it's so true. That's what I've learned over these years with course building specifically. It's like, that's what you're doing as a course creator. You're just, you know, you're just doing your best to package up knowledge that can help people, but you, you don't need to be the best at that knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And so somebody that 
has played piano for 40 years and is classically trained and yeah. they, they wear the long coattails and everything. Like <laughs> if they try to explain a chord to yeah. somebody that doesn't know what a chord is, or me over here who is okay at the piano and was an electrical engineer for eight years, tries to explain a chord. Like I can probably break it down for a beginner much, much better. Right. And for you, and that maybe tell me if this ties into your brand too. I mean, your brand now is pro home cooks. Like you're not trying to teach people to be world-class cooks or chefs. Like you're trying to teach people to be able to utilize what they have in their kitchen better and and cook better home cooked meals for their family. Is that, is that fair? That's very fair. And that's something I had to learn over time because even when I got into cooking, I had these ideas of being respected for cooking. I'm actually, I'm creating a course right now that is all about this, which we can talk about later. But, um, the, that was something that I had to break down within myself and kind of the journey I went on with cooking, which was starting thinking that there was a certain way to cook certain techniques that you needed to follow. And also that like getting respect for it was going to like do something for my ego or whatever. So this idea of opening a restaurant and getting, uh, you know, respect for that, that was stuff I broke down over time because I started to realize what cooking meant for me. Um, and for me, it was really just about being the best cook for the people around me. And, you know, they, it doesn't need to be amazing. It doesn't need to be perfect. They're, you don't need to do it a certain way to feed your family, to feed your friends. Uh, but that took me years to really understand. And that's how the Pro Home Cooks brand um, developed of just like also putting out YouTube videos and seeing how other people responded. But I really had to like break down this idea of how you know, what cooking is to me and then how I want to teach people um, or, you know, how I want to spread that sort of philosophy to other people. And it's obviously working. Now you, you keep saying the word cook. That's obviously in your brand name. What's the difference between a cook and a chef? Uh, I mean, a chef to me, I kind of used to call myself a chef because people, that's what people know. That's what, you know, they, they associate like legitimate cooking with chef. So I, right. the easiest way when I would tell people what I do or what I am is just I would say chef. Now I don't because it's obviously not part of my brand. I think a cook is someone that isn't um, working in a restaurant, really. I would say that's the, the the basics of it. I don't even think it has to do with training or anything like that. It's, you know, you work in a restaurant and you're a chef. I would say that that is the basic definition. Well, I think it makes you more relatable too. Like if it's pro home chefs, it's like, okay, well, I don't really want to be a chef. I just want to cook for my family. So it's pro home cooks. I, okay. That's more relatable. Exactly. And that's who I'm trying to connect with. So let's go back um, to where I cut you off. And yeah, you said you had an advantage in that you knew how to make videos and typically yeah. online courses, the content is packaged up in video form 99% of the time. So you knew how to make videos. You kind of put together a step-by-step curriculum. Then what? How did you How did you launch it? I partnered with a marketing guy at first, and you know he was helping me, but he wasn't full on at the time. I, I couldn't really pay someone to just like come in and really you know give me the help I needed to write out the emails and just do do the marketing basically the sales page. So he was kind of coaching me into what to do. 
and I was putting together uh, and I was learning, I was reading books. He was telling me books to read that would help. And I really was just doing everything from scratch, building out the sales page myself, building out all of the, the emails, um, building out um, automations and things on a very you know, basic level, obviously, because I, you know, I was a beginner at all of this. And that's how I launched. And yeah, that was pretty much the early days, just doing every single element myself. How'd the launch go? Not great. I think I put in more money than I made on the launch, you know, three years ago, I would say. In terms of like ads or just in terms of like time and resources? No, in in time and resources, hiring an editor. Yeah. Time and resources. Like, you know, there wasn't this payoff that I was like, that was worth it. (laughs) And then I started questioning a lot of things, you know, over time. I knew I was happy I built the course. One thing that I knew and I still know today that's such a great experience about building a course is that, you know, I I live in a world of uh, social media, of YouTube, of um, instant gratification, of of making a video, you know, thinking of an idea, making the video all within like two weeks, putting it out, seeing how it does, moving on. Of course, you know, there's something that it's just, uh, it's bringing together so many elements, especially now as I start working with other people. You're kind of writing a book in a way that that takes time. You're building out a curriculum. You're there's so many pieces that come together, and you have more time to really think about it. You have more time to build up self esteem around it and confidence, um, and and just the idea that like, all right, I made this. No one can take it away from me. I don't care how it does. So that's one thing that I knew right away, even though it it didn't do great at first. I was happy that like I took the risk and went through the process, or at least I enjoyed a bigger um, piecing together of content, a big, a bigger process of content generation, you could say. So that was nice. I, I felt that for sure compared to like this world of just YouTube videos every week. Okay. So it was nice. You enjoyed the process. You took a risk. Yeah. You launched it, but didn't really pay off like you wanted it to. Yeah. So why not just throw that idea away and give up on courses. I almost, I don't think I gave up on courses, but I kind of gave up on like, like I was really, you know, as a creator on YouTube as well, you are giving away content for free. So my first thought was like, I've got millions of fans, like they should all have this, you know, like maybe I could give it away for a much cheaper price or something. That was kind of the original idea. Like my self-esteem went down on the value of the course. So I had to battle through that for sure. So that was part of the journey. And yeah, so I kept, do you want me to kind of tell you how it developed into? Yeah, really quickly. I see today, it looks like I can enroll for $197. Is that the price that you launched at? In, in 2017? The price I launched at was... So you can enroll for $147. I think I launched at $97, I believe. So pretty close. Okay. I just wanted to get some context on the price. Yeah. And I've added I've added things to the, to the course. But yeah, it was somewhat close. Cool. Keep going. I'm, I'm, I, did, I did, didn't want to stop you, but I wanted to add that little bit of context yeah. too. When you're talking about should I make it cheaper? Like, show uh, you got all these he- things going through your head. Yeah, because I don't know. You, you know, I've seen the thing is other. There's other sourdough courses that are ten bucks, you know, or whatever. So like th- that's all I 
I had never seen a high quality sourdough course out there or food course really. So I didn't know. I was I was confused, definitely close to to giving up. And then I met, I think what really changed it was I met, well, I was going to work with this other marketing guy and that didn't work out um, for whatever reason. You know, he ran, he crunched some numbers and it, it just didn't seem like it was the right fit. And then I met another partner. Well, now he's my partner in the courses and he saw the potential um, of what, what was happening on the back end, even though it wasn't really bringing in that much money. I think just with the amount of um, emails coming in from funnels and things like that, he could instantly spot the potential of turning it into something that was at least you know bringing in whatever passive income. And we started working together to really optimize um, the entire marketing, um, just backend experience. The course was already made. And we also built out another course on kombucha at the same time, but I did it with his support with the curriculum. Um, he knew more about this stuff. And again, just continued to optimize, create a system that works within my YouTube videos and build that out. And that took some time. And then the big thing was, you know, COVID lockdown happened. Everyone was making sourdough bread. My system was already there and the course took off from that point. So it was like years of effort and optimizing and figuring out to kind of be set up for for something like that to happen. I feel very fortunate that um I'm I'm the piano guy in my business and I'm also the marketing guy. Like I, yeah. I, I probably like the marketing stuff more than the piano stuff, which is why I would create a podcast like this. But most people yeah. are not like that. They want to stay in their lane of of bird watching or basket weaving or cooking yeah. or um, or whatever their thing is, and they don't necessarily like the business and marketing stuff. Sounds like you're more in that category. But as you tell your story, these like marketing guys keep popping up, and like it's <laughs> yeah. almost easy. Whereas a lot of people would probably really appreciate having somebody like that. How how did you? How did these people come into your life seemingly so easily? Oh, well, I think it's like anything. I wouldn't say it was easily. I think I, you know, my intentions were set and that they came in that way. But I ultimately, you know, I am a business guy. I love business. I'm not just the food guy. Um, so that is a passion of mine. But marketing is not. Uh, I know marketing, you know, you can't avoid it. I know how essential it is. So I'm not like in denial, especially now seeing how it works. But I definitely knew that my life would be better if I found someone that was passionate about it that could dedicate all this time. Because in the beginning, when I was doing it all, it was just way too much for me. With everything else I've got going on, I just wasn't good enough at it and I didn't like it enough. So yeah, it was kind of putting my intentions out and you know, hoping that someone would come through and Again, it wasn't like me. I went through different people. Now I have a partner in it that that um, is great, but it took time. So now uh, I know you're working on a new course that I want to talk about here in a little bit. But right now, if I go to your site, there's two courses I can buy. The two we've talked about: Sourdough University, yeah. Kombucha University. Um, is I, I see now where Sourdough is, is 147. Um, is I'm looking now is Kombucha the same 147? Yeah. So. Like how how's how's this going now? Like fast forward to today. Like you are, yeah. are new people enrolling every day, like a few a week. Like how's it going? Yeah, it um ultimately it's going great. It took time. 
the COVID was kind of the initial blast off of like, again, all the hard work of putting in these systems, building out these courses to like, all right, now this thing is selling great. And I don't have to worry about like, is the cost right or something like that. So that was the initial payoff. And now it's just about continuing to, to optimize, but you know, it's selling every, I'm enrolling students every single day and the university continues to build. And that's really my goal. I think as a YouTube creator, like you, you talked about when I got into it, how I got into it, probably something deep inside of me was like, and I still fight with this, you know, getting out of the social media world. Like we, we need social media. Like you, obviously you're taking advantage of all these subscribers you have on YouTube, but social media can be a bit toxic and it's very out of your control of just you know, what the algorithms are going to do and what people are going to like and what's going to be trendy or whatever. And I think deep down inside, you know, this course business and building out Prohm's Cooks University was a chance to take back a little more control um, and build something that I, yeah, that was just out of this social media system. So I always wanted to build something out bigger, a place where I could educate and do what I wanted to do. Whereas, like I said before, with YouTube, there's a specific way you have to play that game in some degree. And that's like, that can grind you down a bit. So I love this space where I can, um, you know, do what I want and teach people how I want and say what I want. I don't know if that answers your, I know your question was more specific on how it's doing, but yeah, I kind of just went on a tangent there. No, it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. I mean, you're what you're saying is that if all of your revenue was generated via your YouTube channel, then it's kind of putting all your eggs in the Google basket. Yeah. And you don't really have full ownership of anything that way. And by diversifying with these courses, putting them on your own domain, it's another revenue stream. But this time, like you just own it all and you can call all the shots. You can play by your own rules. Yeah, it feels, and that makes you feel good. It definitely feels. I always suggest this to people in social media that they have some, they have their own business outside of it, or they're selling something outside of it. And I know that was actually very hard for me to accept when I was, you know, getting into this, um, or when I wasn't in courses um, and building out courses. But it just is nice knowing that, yeah, like you said, all your eggs aren't in that basket because you just never really know what's going to happen. I mean, it could shut down tomorrow and I feel like now I'd be all right. You know, I, I would, I would be able to financially work my way around it. So yeah. you're a course creator now. Mike. I'm a course creator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're kind of talking as if you've seen the social dilemma. I have seen the social dilemma. Thoughts other than what you've said already? You know, at first it's like you have these negative thoughts. I think it's definitely a a hit piece on social media in a lot of ways because you're focusing on the negative aspects and then you're going to react in that way. So at first, that's how I reacted like, oh my God, this is awful. Obviously, it's not all awful. I, you know, I can't hate on it too much considering I play these algorithms. This is how I make a business, this is how I inspire people. But everything is a balance, and there are a lot of unhealthy aspects about it. And there are unhealthy aspects that I um, t- 
take, take, you know, that I live for sure. Just being a creator, every creator is dealing with that too. It's not just people watching social media, um, which I do as well. So I have mixed feelings on it, but I do feel like, you know, mixed feelings to the point where I don't want to dedicate my life to this and like, think that it's going to last forever. Got it. Okay. So you are now an established course creator and you've got two courses and you have a new course coming out. I'm looking at your, your, uh, website right now. It says a new course, ready to break free of recipes for good and cook new, unique, delicious meals every night. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, stay tuned for the launch of my new course, conquer the kitchen on January 19th. So, uh, that'll be right around when this episode comes out probably. So I definitely invite listeners to go, go check that out. But um, now that you are an experienced course creator, what is this launch going to look like for you? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I what's it going to look like? Well, first, I'm I'm creating the course right now. It's been a beast of a course to create, and I think the most exciting part about this journey is that I I have so many more resources now, so I can create a course. I can you know get proper branding and animations, and, and my production has gotten better. I'm working with more people for the course. So that's been awesome. What's being created, I'm very proud of. And I think it's very unique. Ultimately, these other courses like sourdough, kombucha, they had a specific, you know, a specific thing that I was trying to teach people how to do. So you can build a curriculum pretty easily around that. This course was more of a, a scary challenge, you could say. Um, this course was more of a, a challenge. I always knew it was something that I would want to do kind of like my cooking manifesto, like my own culinary school. Um, but to do that, it's like, I'm making this completely from scratch. So it's been a very fun challenge to build out the curriculum and figure out how it works and really pump up the production value. But I'm, I'm just excited. So yeah, so I'm just very, uh, very excited about the. Um, I'm very excited about the launch. Yeah, I think it's unique, and um, there's other thing. There's other cooking style classes out there, but I feel like it just has its own unique place in the world of uh, online education. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's it's going to be great, and and I'm interested to be honest with you. I'm I'm an amateur cook myself. Like I, I that's one of my favorite hobbies, and. Um, I've seen several of your YouTube videos, and I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. A course like that, but you say you're an amateur cook, so like, <laughs> how do you feel in the kitchen? Are you confident in the kitchen? Like, you can go in and kind of just whip some stuff up. Yeah, I can. That's actually like so. So my my wife and I probably split the cooking duties pretty fifty fifty, but we're completely different styles. Like, she has she's got to have a recipe, right? Whereas I can just kind of whip something up. She's like. That's that's not me. Like I don't understand how you do that. But I have a I have a lot to learn as well. And and look, I'm down here in South Louisiana. Like a yeah. lot of what I cook is like Cajun style. Like yeah, I great I can food. whip up a gumbo and a jambalaya and an etouffee yeah. pretty quickly. But there's certainly a lot of cuisines that I would just have no idea what to do. Yeah, yeah, interesting. No, because I think you know one of the main goals is really someone like your wife to kind of get them over that barrier of like breaking free of the recipe. But at the same time, there's so much skill also that I'm sure you could learn from, from things in the course as well. 
Well, I mean, I just this morning I watched a, a video from you about salad that was like 20 minutes long. Yeah. And like you, you talked about it was awesome because you didn't just give recipes for, for salad dressing. You said, OK, I want you to be able to just take something, whatever you already have in your fridge, no matter who you are, and make a delicious salad dressing based on that without having to go to the store and get a list of ingredients. And you're actually teaching like the whys behind everything and not just the how, which I mean, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what I try to do with piano. I always tell people like, I don't want you to come back to me every time you need, you want to learn a new song. Yeah, I want to give you the tools you can to, to go learn whatever song it is you want to learn after completing my course. Yeah. I wonder if there's a, a correlation here with piano and cooking. I'm sure there is. Cause what I learned through making this course was this like, this idea of culinary school, for instance, all of that is built off training chefs. You know, that's really the idea, training chefs to go into restaurants. And there's never been a training program to train home cooks to just produce great food for their families. And that was becoming very clear to me as I was continuing to build up the course and make the course. And I wonder with something like piano, is it the same idea? Is it like coming from this classical idea of like training, you know, proper piano, whereas like some people just want to, you know, enjoy and, and have fun? I, I think there there definitely is. And I love the name Conquer the Kitchen. Um, I think it, it's it's going to be cool. I'm curious to see what it, what it looks like. And I bet you get a lot of um, successful students going through there. Hopefully. But I want to I want to focus on the marketing and, and sales side of things yeah. on it. Like, what is the launch going to look like? Like, are you sending out emails to an email list? Are you making a video on YouTube announcing the launch of it? Like, what does it look like for you? You know, for what we've learned over on my team is that launches, like, I've never had the most successful launches of courses because my, my content is very evergreen, just like a piano course, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, it's very evergreen. And then I have this constant content being put out on YouTube. So this time we're doing it a little differently. We're not super concerned about this like big launch. Like there's a deadline, you know, you got to finish the course, but it's really about, for me, it's, it's like, all right, this course is awesome. Just focus on making it incredible and then spend the next few years like optimizing. Cause that's what I learned with sourdough. It, it shot off three years after I made it or something like that. Two years. That was a valuable lesson of, you know, build the system. So like what we do is, you know, we build out funnels that get promoted within the YouTube videos, try to build viral videos around the course. Generally, I've never been successful at like directly marketing my course on YouTube. I've learned the hard way with a few videos where I, you know, try to push people directly to say a sales page. And it's just like, we're not buying from you. What is this? You know, you've been giving us free stuff forever. So it's kind of, optimizing over time. And then also a big thing that like the big risk I'm taking for this that feels great is I'm going to be building out a book around the course because I put so much time into the curriculum and um, the curriculum is really unique and very helpful. So I'm currently building out a book as well. It's going to be very unique, not like your normal cookbook. Mm -hmm. And that will have so much marketing potential because one, I'll just be able to give... People will now have the option to get into this world of Conquer the Kitchen at a affordable, you know, very affordable cost of a book. 
And then of course, if they want to go on to, you know, the deeper course, the video content, they can do that. So that's going to be really interesting. I don't even know how it's going to work, um, but I know I'm going to make it the book and then figure that out. Do you know what a funnel is? Oh yeah, of course. Do you have any funnels? So yeah, that's like the, you know, the, the simple version of the way I market the course is I put out a video that's giving away some type of PDF or some, you know, so like I had a really successful sourdough video. It has over 4 million hits and it offers these really great sourdough baking guides mm, cool. that help you, you know, you print them out and people love these guides and they, you know, they can follow the steps to make sourdough that funnels people into a marketing automation. Great. So there's a link to that free PDF, probably under that 4 million hit video, people get that. Then you have some automated emails that go out. That same type of thing is going on through, throughout my YouTube channel in different, different ways. So like from that, I've built my email list out to a, a really substantial email list over the last few years from zero. Like when I started, uh, and, you know, I didn't mention this, but when I started my course creation and the marketing, I really thought I'm like, well, I've got a million followers on YouTube, right? Like I can at least you know, I, I can get at some of these people, maybe like half a percent. And I tried to market directly to them through a YouTube video. And it was just a backfire, a straight backfire. And that's when I learned I need an email list. And then from, I'm like, oh, I, I felt like my YouTube channel was my email list, but you know, everyone works differently and people buy things more from the, the security of email, I guess, or whatever. So I had to build out an email list from scratch. Well, it's it's more than the security of email. It's more about the funnel, right? Just if you just promote a a direct, hey, buy this course on YouTube, then you're asking them to go from like almost nothing to spending $150, whereas a funnel will just like slowly warm them up, warm them up, warm yeah. them up, you know? And then you mentioned the book and like, that's what really spurred me to ask you about funnels is because I think writing a book is a phenomenal idea, but make sure it's part of a funnel. like. You want of people course. to buy the $10 book, but make sure you have ways to then get them on your email list to then sell them the, the new course, which is going to be priced at what, by the way? The new course, we're still figuring that out right now. It will be higher than... Um, there's more to it than the sourdough, um, So, but we're still working on the back end there. How big's your uh, email list now? My email list is around 300,000 people. Goodness gracious, man. <laughs> And you just started that in 2017. That went from zero to, yeah. But a lot of that was like built on um, sourdough. Just like, you know, people, <laughs> that's the thing. I had all of these, these funnels on my channel all over, you know, on these different videos. And then when sourdough got big, it's like so many people wanted these PDFs um, and it just grew like crazy. What uh, what's what platform are you using for the emails? Um, I use Active Campaign. Nice. Yeah, is that we were late on that? I was thinking you were going to say ConvertKit. Guys like you usually go for ConvertKit, but I approve oh. of Active Campaign. Okay, why why guys like me? Well, um, typically bloggers. I know you're not a blogger, but like you're not you're not like um you're clearly more passionate about the the cooking itself and maybe the overarching business overall than the marketing specifically 
right? I can tell you right now, the only reason I'm on active campaign is because the initial marketing guy I was partnered with recommended it. Yeah. I would have not, it's way too complex. Like if I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that it's complex, but like, um, it feels a little more on the nerdy side of marketing. I'm sure just from like the way it works. It is, you can get far nerdier. And that's one of the reasons I like active campaign is because I feel like it's a good balance of all these crazy features versus user friendliness. But active campaign is one of the, my favorite, favorite tools that I use. Oh, nice. Um, okay. So your team. How big's your team? How many people? Got to be a lot, right? On my course or my business? Your just overall your business, because your course is—I mean, your course is just one aspect of the business, right? You have team members that work on multiple, yeah. aspects. So I have a, um, I have a, an assistant. I have a editor. I have a designer. Um, video I editor. Have, video editor. Yeah, I edit videos as well, but I also have an editor. Like the course is being completely edited by um, my editor. And then I have um, a marketing partner on the courses. He also helps me build out the curriculum. And then I think, uh, and then like I've been, you know, working with an illustrator. There's freelance people here and there, but I think the foundation would be four people. Are those are those employees? I know you have one partnership, but the other people employees? No actual employees, all um, contractor base. Pretty cool, man. Do you? Um... I mean, how's that going? Are you managing the team or do you have, do you have somebody managing the team for you? Yeah, I manage the team. Again, it's interesting, you know, building a digital business. It's like, it's not your normal business that, you know, from the past where you need all these employees and like, you know, you can work with contractors, you know, you, you hire them for a job and you're not working with them. So like you can get a lot done without building out some massive team. So I'm, I'm figuring all this stuff out, but it's just really cool running a, a digital business. Yeah. I have, uh, I have eight people on my team. Also no full-time employees. Nice. Yeah. Wow. So who do you have? What's your team made up of? So I do have a, um, a director of operations, which is kind of new in the past three and a okay. half months. And, and she, at this point, like is pretty much full-time, but she's not, she's not an actual employee, but probably will be at some point. Um, so that is great because she manages the team and the projects now, right? And she mm, kind of man- she, yeah. she manages like the day-to-day so I can stay up here at the higher level, right? Yeah, I like yeah. that. It's good. It, That's goals right there for sure. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I, I think with where at your level, one resource I would recommend to you is um, is starting with with a type of person called an OBM. Which stands for online online okay. business manager, and it's an actual certification that that people get. Okay. Um, oh, interesting. And and typically the role of an OBM is they they wear several hats. They'll um they'll do team management, they'll do project management, they'll do operations management, and then they'll do uh, metrics management. And um, that's actually I hired um, Colleen as kind of an OBM right at first, but she was in the middle of her director of operations uh training and she's finished that now and i mean she's there's not a ton of difference between the two it's kind of like a an advanced obm so i would okay. start there you can go to onlinebusinessmanager.com that's what i did and you fill out okay. a you fill out an rfp for free and then all these obms yeah. start applying to your job interesting and, that's crazy that that's a role 
It is, uh, but it's like makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> to, man, and you then, know, have a degree in that, right? It's like a little three or six month certification that that somebody can yeah. get. And um, you know, I wasn't even looking at like college degrees or anything. I was looking at yeah. that certification and 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 experience. And it's been a game changer, man. Just to get out of the weeds of the day to day. You know, I really, I have you, I have two YouTube channels. I have a podcast. I have courses. And like, if somebody I'm can sure just I'm like that would be, I can just even, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, whoa, what would I do? <laughs> you know, like the amount of space that would probably free up. Yeah. So, um, so I certainly have, uh, like an executive assistant as well. She's been with me for like four years and is, is completely yeah. invaluable to podcast editor, video editor, graphic designer, recently hired, uh, somebody, um, to do transcriptions full-time, okay, like 40 hours a week in the Philippines, like all the, all the content that we spit out from the YouTube channels, the courses, the podcast, like just somebody that can go in and put a really good touch on manually transcribing stuff. Cause I don't, I don't know if you like run your videos and through rev.com to get those nice captions done, but that can really, that can really add up. Costs can really add up. Um, so we're actually yeah. saving money now because we were spending over $1000 a month on rev.com and now we yeah. have you know now we have somebody um to do that dedicated That's great. So That's great. So I had a question for you. <laughs> um so right now like you you say you know like up here for you you said you love the marketing side and then of course like piano like the creative side what what is your role? In this structure. So my goal is to yeah. only do the things that I have to and want to do. Right? Yeah. And nothing and else. I guess oh so so what I guess what do you want to do? What do I want to do? Because like I don't know, yeah, I don't know too much about your business. Obviously, you know, I read up a, a little bit about what's going on. You have, you know, uh the 21 day piano course that uh, you know you build out have you have this passive income, but Outside of that, I don't know anything. So, yeah. what are you what are you doing? Yeah. So my my goals in life, uh, from a from a business perspective, are really two things. It's it's one is to um, truly help as many people or help as many people truly learn piano. Yeah. And two is to help as many people truly succeed with online courses. Got it. I have been in a place of very much struggling with both which is one of the reasons I'm passionate about both. But at the end of the day, that's my that's my want, that's my end goal. That's very broad, right? What are the specifics behind that look like? Well, I have a I have a business that has both of those things and I don't plan to do anything else. And um within that, we have we have a team that helps me accomplish these things. And so specifically, what do I want and need to be doing? Well, for the most part, I'm the one on camera, right? I'm the face behind it. I'm doing the podcast interviews. I'm the one teaching piano. Now I do have plans to have other piano teachers involved as well. But that's kind of the main thing. Like be the face, be on camera, and then just be the CEO, right? And make yeah, sure- Yeah, I guess it's the same same idea over here. That's that's the ultimate goal, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, there's, a, there's a book called Traction. Have you ever heard of Traction? No. It's one of the first, um, it, it may even be the author, maybe even the, the person that kind of invented this concept, but he, the premise is that there really should be two main roles toward the top of a company to really succeed. You should have the visionary and the integrator, right? 
So the visionary is the, is the idea person, big picture direction of the company, and the integrator is the one that makes it happen, implements the ideas, right? Yeah. And so that's what I, I want to be the visionary of my company. I want to be the one to keep moving it forward, keep innovating, and so on. And now I have somebody like Colleen that can take my ideas and help make them reality without me having to get too much in those weeds. Yeah. I love that. Love that. I mean, I forget. I just read a book um, that was recommended by my marketing partner. I forget the name of it, but the concept was more about just like, you should be doing, you know, this one main thing at <laughs> in your business. You know, what what is like your ultimate what what is the most valuable part of your brain that that is going to bring you success not all of these other things and just like you need to be doing that thing that no mm-hmm. one else can do so like for you yeah host you know doing the piano for me it's the same thing it's like being the yeah. host being the face coming up with yeah, the creative yeah I mean, if you could especially once you launch this new course and you can just like live off of these three courses for a while meaning you don't necessarily need to make any more for a while like your job could be coming yeah. up with ideas for YouTube videos and then being the one on camera. Like you can even outsource the scripting of those. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel right now of like, all right, you know, I just had a baby. <laughs> okay, I like made a course within that. And now it's like, all right, I can chill on the courses for a while and just focus on like optimizing business and YouTube and all of that for at least a year. It's a good place to be, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, it's uh I'm ex- I just have like yesterday cuz now when you're in when you're course building and making it it's like, you know, your brain is in a million directions. So now that I'm coming out of it a bit, I'm like, all right, this next year is going to be fun, you know. That was like got that done with. How's uh so first kid, right? Yeah, first kid. How how's adjusting to 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 being a dad and and running a business? I mean, it's wild to be honest. I think I've learned, I actually did another interview this morning and a similar question came up, but I think the main thing I've learned is that to be less attached to, um, to be less detached to like the way you think things are going to move. Because when you don't have a kid, it just seems like you have more control over your destiny a little bit. Like, you know, you can plan out your time and like, all right, if you're, you know, if you need to make this course and you've got to spend a week just crunching, like you can do it. Whereas now it's like, I, can't, I don't have that option. Um, and things are just like, yeah, you have a week where your baby's not sleeping and like, all right, well, I didn't expect that one. Whereas you didn't have that, you didn't have that issue when you didn't have a kid. But things are still going well in my business ultimately, and they're still growing. They're just not, it doesn't look like, or it's not at the pace or it's all jumbled. Whereas before it just felt different. So I've learned to just like release attachment to the way I think things should look with, because with a kid, it's like, it's just insane. It's a lot different. It's a lot different. What about you? What, what could you teach me having, you know, two kids and being through this? I'm just getting started. Well, you know, the you're a lot further ahead than I was when we had our first kid. So my oldest is is five and a half now. And for okay. me, when when we had our daughter, like the plan was always for my wife to to quit her job and stay home. And so yeah. that happened back then, five and a half. I was working as a, a electrical engineer full time. Oh wow. I had started piano in twenty one days in twenty thirteen, but it was making about a thousand dollars a month. So I had my 
income okay. plus a little bit from this thing. Yeah. And so how did you feel about a thousand dollars a month? Were you like pumped on that or you were like, all right, this has a lot more potential? No, I knew it had potential. And I, I didn't I didn't okay. know how to get it there yet, but I was determined to. I've I've I'm certainly a lot better at like the marketing side of things today than I than I yeah. was back then. But but like, you know, you you started reading books, you started learning from other people that that knew what they were doing. That's that's what I was doing too. But I decided to quit my job, or we decided when my little girl was six months old, which is I, yours is seven. Your 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 daughter's seven months old now. Yeah. So imagine like quitting your job right now. Your wife's not working, and you're only making a thousand dollars a month. It's interesting though that that's like not that my life has gone like that, but we left Brooklyn. You know, we were living there. I had my studio there, and like made these decisions that we didn't think we were going to make. So like still these radical decisions when we had a kid and did not expect any of that to happen. So I can relate to just like the chaos of it and it not looking like you think it's going to look. Yeah. So we had um, built up some savings because that wasn't enough for me, for us to live on, um, especially long-term. So um, we we fortunately had up to a year to live very frugally and it not work. And um, it was about <laughs> it was about ten months in before it finally started working, wow. which was about one month after my wife told me she was pregnant with our second kid. Um, wow! So fortunately, things really came together. And to be honest, I tell this story all the time to my audience. But yeah, the big game changer that there's like one thing that I implemented. Yeah, that took me like ten x, like one thousand to ten thousand a month. Okay, you know what that thing is? I would love to know. Half the podcast listeners are probably like screaming what the answer is because I've said it so yeah. much. It was a really good evergreen funnel. I don't. Oh, so like an actual specific. Thing. Yeah. So so our businesses are very different, right? You're you're you probably get a lot more traffic. You've got multiple courses. You you bring in revenue from ads and sponsorship deals. Like my my business is like. I'm going to try to sell as many copies of one course as possible. And that's 99% of my revenue, right? I recommend yeah. keyboards here and there. I get some Amazon affiliate income, but that's that's almost nothing. So for me, having one really good evergreen funnel that I can then take all my traffic and bring them into the beginning of the funnel, You may, if you went to pianoin21days.com, you can't actually buy it there. But what you can do is download my free workbook of the first five days. And that's the start of an evergreen funnel. And your your traffic, you said there's your YouTube audience. What else is you have an email list, I'm guessing. Yeah. What what's your traffic? Yeah, so so YouTube uh organic, I do YouTube ads, I do uh Google ads, I do Bing ads and okay. Facebook ads, and then I also do have a good Google SEO presence as well. So if you type in things like Got it. how to play piano, learn piano. Learn piano Typically, I'll show up three times actually on the first page, a video, a YouTube video, yeah. an ad, and a, an organic result as well. So I've got a pretty diversified traffic stream, yeah. but I, I I would bet- I thought you were going to- What about like philosophically <laughs> of like having a kid? Is there anything like outside of like specific <laughs> technical you know, marketing? Is there anything that helped you? I got, I got off uh, on a tangent a little bit. It's no, 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 but I, I totally appreciate that as well. I mean, that's that's no, important. the biggest thing for me is trying to not always look to the future, like, oh, I can't wait till she's two, mm. I can't wait till she's yeah. three, and so on. Because my wife and I have set up our lives this way on purpose, like, this is what we always wanted. Yeah. We didn't always want to, You're doing to, it, yeah. to so, so we're not, like, that's why one of the first things we did when I quit my job was 
we went to France for three months with a yeah. eight month old baby because yeah. that's the type of thing we always wanted to be able to do. That's it's funny because we we have the same sort of goal. Like I wanna I wanna be able to, you know, first of all, my wife, you know, be able to start her own business and do her own thing, but also go to France or Italy for three yeah. months and just film content and just like yeah, like just live in that world for a bit with kids or whatever it looks like. Um so interesting, similar goals. Yeah. Now it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to do it, right? Say, hey. Mike, make sure yeah. you live in the present more. Well, that's hard to do. Yeah. Right? So one thing um, I found, especially lately, is, is getting out of the day-to-day actually helps a good bit with that. So, so let me ask you this. Could you just like take off for, for four or six weeks and do nothing inside your business? No. Why not? Well, right now, like if, we, if I was just to go tomorrow. Because <laughs> of the course launch. I mean... I, I'm like, I would have to maybe set that, <laughs> you know, set some things up, but like, yeah, I'm making a book and like, I'm doing things and producing YouTube. I mean, as far as financially, I'd be all right, but I don't know if that's your question. Like for my business just to keep burning away. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I, I don't honestly don't know quite what the question even is. You can answer it however you want, yeah. but like, uh, have you ever read anything by Mike Michalowicz? No. One, one of his books is is called Clockwork. and. Um, he, oh, I have read Clockwork. You read Profit First, or a part of it. That's no. his big one, Profit First. But like, he's he's a small business author, and like, he one of his big messages throughout all of his books is like, "Hey, you are awesome. You started a business from nothing, out of thin air. You made something yeah. happen, and for that, yeah. you should be rewarded. You should be able to pay yourself yeah. bonuses." And one of the things he says in Clockwork is, and and this is like. He's very um he takes a very hard stance on this. He's like you need to schedule a 4 week vacation where you don't check in on work even one time. Yeah. And if and if you don't have the type of business where you can do that, then you, you have the wrong that. type yeah. of business. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting. I feel like I'm not there yet, but would like to get there for sure and need that cuz you're right as a business owner, you can just get so caught up in the day to day. Yes. So I wish I had some more like profound wisdom about about the kid, yeah, but it's like I like it. Spend as Helpful. much time as possible with them, um, and 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 try not to look ahead too much. Um, that's that's kind of my biggest things. So nice. so for you, I mean, not necessarily as a course creator, we we've kind of established where the revenue comes in, but in your business, what's is is there any one thing or like the best day that you've had because of the business that you've created? As far as yeah, I mean, as far as my course, it was like when COVID hit, it was pretty and it was pretty crazy. Um, just the amount of people coming into the sourdough course was was amazing. Um, so there were just a few months there where like everyone was talking about sourdough bread, you know, news channels, flour was selling out, and then meanwhile, you know, I have this course that. I built out years ago that like the the marketing was optimized that was ready to like capitalize off this moment and that was like such a massive moment for me in business because it taught me that you've got to trust yourself you know that and that is the most I think that might be the most valuable thing I've ever learned because I went out and I made a course on sourdough bread and just took a risk took time off YouTube took like 
five months off YouTube just because I'm like, I need a break and let me do this. And at the time, I, you know, I believed in it. Um, but it didn't pay off till years later. So what I learned was that just continue to trust yourself, your own intuition on business and what you want to do, but don't worry about like instant payoff. You know, don't worry about when it's gonna or if you're even gonna get paid off for it. It might be another project. Um, but I knew I'm like, okay, this worked. And like it happened three years later. And I just had to like continue to trust myself. So now when I go into a project, I just have more confidence. Like it could fail, but like all I can do, like this thing works before. Like all I can do is take the same process of like trusting myself over and over and just seeing what the universe, you know, decides. Yeah. And like it happened and then you saw this craze happening. So you scrambled to put out a sourdough bread course to try to fill that need in the market. It was there and people yeah. were finding you and you were reaping the benefits and they were reaping the benefits of you having already created the course too. Exactly. And that's how I feel about course creation in general and, you know, online education. It's like the world is moving in that direction and it, it's pretty cool to kind of be ahead of it a bit. I'm sure you feel the same way of like, you're already, you've been in this game and you can bring people in. And, and that's a nice, nice feeling as people, you know, work more digitally and um, remote and whatever. It's like, all right, I'm here to educate you. So that's that's a pretty good segue into like my last just kind of big question for you that I, that I w- would love for you to answer before yeah. we get out of here. And that is more of beginner advice. So we talked about earlier, you talked about like thinking we're rich and just packaging up knowledge. So you've been at this a long time. And sometimes it's not even best to hear from people that have been doing it a long time. We talked about that too. But if you were to advise somebody who is at the beginning stages and they have something to offer to somebody, they have this knowledge inside of them that they could teach to other people, what is your perspective? What is your advice on on how to get started? Is it to start with YouTube and maybe a year later make a course? Should we start with a course? What what does Mike Greenfield have to say? Okay, good question. So I think it's funny. I was on a Teachable. My courses are hosted on Teachable and I was on a panel and I was with three other people and then me. And these other people were more like marketing heavy on like you know, their courses were like how to make a course. And they were very, you know, they had specific things. Like they kept saying these, like people wanted to know, like everyone wants to know what's the path, you know, like give me the path to like be successful. And that's not how the world works. You know, you need to figure out your own path. The internet, there's just endless options. And I had to figure it out over, you know, the truth is, it's just hard work, sticking with it, trusting myself and figuring this over years of what worked for my business. That's the best advice I would give. There is no official way to do it. Don't, you know, listen to anyone who says there's like a perfect way and trust yourself and just do it. <laughs> just do it. And um, again, like I can't say YouTube would be the way because I mean, maybe you don't like YouTube or, or just, you know, you know, through ads or whatever. I don't think there is one way, but I think if you're inspired by it, just trust yourself and like, you'll figure out the marketing and, you know, you'll figure that out over time. So, so for you, like you were inspired by, I guess you started with the, with the, just a, a very sub niche of cooking of, of yeah. fermentation. And for you, 
you just started putting some content out there. And I think you even said that was Vimeo at first. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you talk about like my initial career, it was, yeah, I was inspired and I wanted to do cooking content. I put out stuff on Vimeo and then just it led, you know, all over the place. Wild, wild journey to get to here. It sounds like it, at the end of the day, your advice is to like, just go do something. Yeah. Like, don't, don't do nothing. Just do something. Definitely just do things because as, as far as like creators, you know, people want things to be one of the biggest setbacks for creators is that they want things to be perfect right away. And that's not how it works either. You know, it's, it's messy. And like you said, enjoy the process. That's a hard thing to do, but it really is about the process of, of working it out over time and getting better. And like I started YouTube with iPhones, you know, and now I've got a huge production studio and nice cameras and I understand lighting and audio. And I only did that through hard work of like learning all of those things on my own. And at times it was hard and I screwed up. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is pretty good years and years later. Um, and it was just from doing it. Well said. All right, Mike Greenfield from prohomecooks.com. Everybody go check that out. It's an awesome, awesome website, by the way. I didn't even get a chance to compliment you on that or ask questions about that. But at the very least, everybody go check out the website and see how he's structuring things. Or if you're like me and you want to consume more of this content, then check it out as well. Prohomecooks.com. Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, that is the end of the conversation with Mike. So now, come on back, Dr. K. Thank you. So um, this is fun because you get to offer your perspective as somebody who's not me, right? You're you're kind of as we go, as we do the backside of the conversation. You're kind of the the voice of the audience at this point. It's like, okay, we just heard the conversation. Tell me what you think about it, and then I, as the person that was talking to Mike, I'll tell you what I think about that as well. So. Um, if, if somebody's new listening, that's kind of what we're doing here. So David, uh, overall thoughts and then start giving, giving me your key takeaways. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mike Greenfield just seems like the nicest, most genuine guy. Loved listening to you two chat. Um, the, the big takeaway is that no one gets a pass on the marketing. I mean, Mike Greenfield has millions of followers. Again, he's validated with a freaking MTV show. He's super likable. And it's like, if anyone can just send people to a sales page and sell a course, it's him. And yet, I mean, you heard him say it, it didn't work. That was a dismal failure. So no one gets a pass on the marketing. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's why this podcast and, and the strategies you teach, it's like, it's invaluable for anybody, even if you've got millions of followers. Well said, man. Have you checked out his YouTube channel, by the way? A little bit. It's really cool. It's really, and I love cooking. We've talked about that. I love cooking. So I was fascinated. I mean, I watched a 20 minute video on him talking about salad and I was just dialed in the whole time. The way he presents everything and does everything, the production value is awesome. But to your point, like, I, I love that. Nobody gets a pass on the marketing, which is true. Like, it didn't go so well for him at first, but, but he had to, to lean into that and figure things out. Maybe, maybe he didn't have the right strategic partner at first. Um, but man, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. What else? Well, so the, just this concept of building assets. Um, I know that one of your past guests said he didn't call his courses and his books and everything, just these like products. He said, these are assets. 
And I felt like Mike Greenfeld, uh, that, that sourdough course, he built it three years before and it didn't take off right away, but that was an asset just waiting to really start to monetize at a high level. Um, then creating the kombucha course is another asset. If the individual courses don't sell, technically he could combine those into like, he could add a course on kimchi and have a collection of courses that are all about cultured products. But every asset is one more thing that you can ultimately start to monetize. But I mean, especially I think this was super valuable for people that have these larger audiences already. Just these takeaways that a video to a sales page won't work. You have to have a funnel. You have to master the email marketing. And uh, one thing, if you have somebody, if we have somebody out there listening, that's like another person that's similar to Mike, you know, has millions of followers on YouTube. I would say uh, they should reach out to Jock and say, you know, hey, like I'm ready to build a course. Can we do the coaching? You know, whether there's whether you'd encourage that or not, Jacques is up to you. But it's like, let's say that Kylie Jenner is out there and she's ready to make her first course on like actually applying makeup. Let's have Jacques coach her, record those calls and let's put it in the uh, into another course in your portfolio, Jacques. I'm still a little disgruntled that you didn't record the coaching calls with Jonathan Mendonca from Choose FI. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a big thing. Well, you know, David, I haven't told you this, but I've got another arrangement like that coming up. Maybe I can record those, but I'm not, I'm, I don't really do any like one-on-one uh, coaching anymore. It comes to me and is like, Hey, I'll give you, you know, thousands of dollars. You just coach me at, that's not really something that interests me much anymore, but I'm just, I'm still trying to grow my brand and, um, and do certain things. And so Jonathan is a, is a, is a friend, so I was happy to help him out. But he also had me on his podcast. That wasn't the arrangement, but being able to go on Choose Fi was um, really good exposure. So I, I've been approached within the past week by another podcast host of a very 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 big podcast, and basically it's like, hey, come on the podcast in exchange for give me some coaching. He he's he doesn't have a course yet. He's got a huge audience. Um, he's looking at making his first course, wants to do it right, and would love to have me be his like mentor for a month or so as he goes through the process. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. So you're going to coach Joe Rogan? <laughs> oh, man. Um, no comment. We'll see. I didn't curious. say the number one podcast in the world. I just said a big podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I should No, but I am super excited to learn who this is and yeah, I would love to I would love to listen in on you you taking somebody that has the audience yeah. and take them through the specific No, thanks for steps. that reminder. I actually just spoke to this person yesterday and so maybe I should make it one of the kind of stipulations of our deal is to be able to record these sessions and to bring it back to what we we're talking about. That would be an awesome asset for me and my brand. So, appreciate the reminder there. Definitely. Um, so you and you and Mike talked a little bit about just YouTube and a little bit about that, making money from ads versus making money from the sponsored deals. Uh, you did say that you are actually getting getting little paychecks from YouTube. So like what would those amount to just out of curiosity with the current number of views that you get? Oh, I get it. I get about a thousand dollars a month from YouTube. No way. Yeah. Yeah. About a thousand. Uh, almost 80,000 subscribers. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how many views I get per month, but yeah, 
about a thousand dollars a month from YouTube gets direct deposited wow. into my bank account. But you got to think like if I had 10x the subscribers, right? If I had a million subscribers, and if if it worked this way to where it was linear, then let's say I got ten thousand dollars a month from advertisers. That's pretty good. But that also a million YouTube subscribers is very rare and difficult, right? So if you're a YouTuber, you have a million subscribers. Let's just these numbers are probably not accurate, but let's say hypothetically you bring in $10,000 a month, you could be bringing in at least $100,000 a month from courses or your own digital products if you do it the right way. So I've got the ads turned on, but it's certainly not the main revenue source of my business. That's still pretty fascinating though. I thought I thought the highest you were going to say was $200 because I I had this conception that the the payment plan from YouTube was just really low, but not that $1,000 is enough to live on alone, obviously. But um, the other thing that in that brief conversation, he did say that, let's say theoretically, we wanted to get a hold of somebody at the level of celebrity of Mike. He said the best way to get a hold of a celebrity was Instagram. And so I don't know if everybody would realize this, but when you go into somebody's Instagram profile, even if it's somebody really famous, there's an actual message button, but there is actually email the person as well. And so all these celebrities that you might think, oh man, there'd be no way to get their email. Most of them still have that email in, to contact them in the in the Instagram profile. Well, and whether they're actually checking or it or if they have somebody else that manages it for them is a different story, but it's it's also can be a numbers game as well, right? We reach out to pe- far more people to come on this podcast than actually ever even reply, right? That's why right. we reach out to maybe three to five people per week. And if one to two respond or, or book in, that's kind of what we're going for. So unless um, if we just did like once a week, we might have never come across a, a Mike Greenfield and people far you know, lesser known than him will will not respond, whether it goes to their spam or they're just not interested. I don't know. But the majority of our outreach never gets responded to. And that's fine. We understand that. But when guys like Mike Greenfield reply, are excited to come on and look, we have a follow-up like conversation um, schedule. Like we just, we really enjoyed getting to know each other. And uh, we, we feel like we each have value to offer the other person. So it's a ongoing um, relationship now, and if we never, if if I never sent that first email, then it wouldn't would never happened. That's awesome. All right, so Saturday night, Val and I watched a show on Netflix. Want to guess what show? On Netflix, um, Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. Watched it. Um, so here's here's one of my key takeaways: is is there's a little bit of irony is that you now want to create this community that's really sticky, <laughs> that has people coming back. You're planning it out to like try to just like ding their dopamine receptors just like repeatedly so they come back every day and, and just feel so much joy. Doesn't that make you a little bit like Mark Zuckerberg? Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but the, the goal with uh, Facebook is to get you to stay on Facebook as long as possible, essentially, because their model is advertising. So the longer you stay on there, the more they can advertise for to you and the more um, money they make. Same with YouTube, same with Instagram. So all of these platforms are designed to be as addictive as possible, right? For mine, I'm not going for addiction. I'm going for 
completion and experience and transformation, right? I'm not necessarily trying to keep you on the platform as long as possible. I'm trying to teach you as much as possible. And obviously I'm biased. I'm just kind of working this out in my head right now. But does that make sense? Is that fair? Or are you legitimately asking me this? Um, no, it's, I mean, I completely understand it. And uh, obviously, yeah, you just want people, but you really do want people to check out Piano in 21 Days community like every single day. You want it to become a part of their routine and bring them as much joy as possible. So, I mean, there is some similarity there, but but mainly I'm teasing you on that. Yeah. Well, it's it's a matter it's a matter of choice as well, right? And I think Gina Gina said this on her the episode where I interviewed her about Mighty Networks was that she specifically said like when you have your own community, you can be your own Mark Zuckerberg, right? And that's mm-hmm. what I'm going for is I don't want to be in the pockets of other companies. I want to have my own thing and people can choose to use it or not, but I'm not at the liberty of other people's companies that way. Sure. So I did want to share just a little bit of uh, actual, hopefully helpful advice uh, as you're going to try to move your community over there, because the other key takeaway of this of, of watching Social Dilemma is that you kind of have an uphill battle to get people to come over to yours and enjoy it at the level of Facebook. And uh, kind of my my viewpoint comes from somebody who I'm a member of this community and they tried to move off of Facebook and they got so much backlash and so much frustration from their members that after about a month, they moved back to Facebook. So, I mean, you do have this uphill battle. Um, so I was thinking, like, what could you do to try to make this transition as successful as possible? Um, the first thing is just to recognize that your current most active Facebook users, if you don't address it up front, are most likely to become your most vocal critics. Um, that definitely happened. The people that were most active in the Facebook group were the ones that started whining and complaining when they moved it over to a service called Honeycomb. And so um, you'd have an option to personally reach out to those top members, the people that are most interacting and say, hey, I appreciate all you do to make this community great. I just want to to ask for your help to make the, the new community fantastic as well. And uh, that could help. Other than that, I mean, it seems like the biggest challenge is going to be to get all of those people to actually download the app and get them to log in. So just really having this mindset that you need to build curiosity about what's going on in the new app, in the new community. So that could be giving away weekly prizes, uh, surprises, debuting that new challenge in the in the new group. And then, like I said before, emails with the subject meet and then somebody's name and, and say meet, meet Susie. And then you to meet Susie and see her play, you have to click into the new app, download the new app. Um, I think those things would be huge. The only other tip would just be to have a video tour with the quick tips to customize the experience um, because people people interact with these apps in their own ways. So figuring out what's going to let them make it right for them would be helpful. Yeah, I love it. We're, we're still in the middle of that process of starting to move people over and get that initial feedback. But I, I, everything you said spoke to me, especially, you know, some of the some of the biggest like um influencers almost inside of my current Facebook group that are regularly posting, regularly helping uh, people out to take a proactive approach. Me like, look, hey, I appreciate you so much for what you're doing for the community here. I would love it if you could help me do the same type of stuff over in the new community in the new app and so on and just kind of get ahead of that um, and get their buy-in at the start rather than have them just be one of the thousands of people that need to be moved over. Well, yes. And again, those people in, in the case of this failed 
failed experiment of moving off of Facebook, that group of people were the most vocal critics. And yeah, so I think that right. that kind of messaging ahead of time, you're heading that off. I think one of the things I have going for me versus your experience where you're in a community that moved off of Facebook and then it didn't go well and had to come back is that it was very, very much just a community, right? Honeycomb doesn't have any course features. That's one of the things I looked into, but it, it's it's a community platform like like Circle is and like some others out there. Whereas for me, one of the main incentives for them to create this new account to move over to this new platform is that's where the course will live. Mm-hmm. And just the community being there as well is just a bonus. And I'm not going to just immediately remove the Facebook group either. This is all my hope. And I'll continue to keep you and the the listeners updated as we go through this process. That sounds good. So one more thing on the uh, in the subject of social media. So I happen to log in and start using Twitter a little bit more. Um, specifically, I have a little man crush on the guys that do Robin Hood Snacks daily podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the main spot they interact. And then the other thing is there's this uh, really interesting course creator that I'd like to have on the podcast. His name is Paul the Trombonist. And he teaches creatives how to how to monetize their specific skills like playing trombone. Um, and I thought, ah, maybe I could reach out to him on Twitter. So I got on Twitter and I was like, well, who else am I supposed to be following? I searched your name and I found some old profile of yours. Oh, and no. <laughs> uh, yes. All right. So Jacques, uh, specifically, I scroll down and I see where you're promoting a past podcast. So Uh inspiring, wait, interviews with inspiring musicians. So, so, I mean, you don't have to tell me the full story of the podcast right now, but I was thinking, let's say sometime here in 2021, you have a week where you, uh, you don't have any content, you're going on a vacation. I think that you should actually put on one of your old interviews with inspiring musicians as the podcast, that episode, because it would give us a great framework. How how long ago were you doing that podcast? Tell us man, a little bit about that. You, you're you just always keep me on my toes, man. I I forgot about that from way back then. I need to find that Twitter profile and get rid of it. But yeah, so I started Piano in 21 Days in 2013. It was not an instant success. I was still working my full time job, and one of the marketing channels at the time, I think it was 2014, that I wanted to explore. That podcast was really exploding back then. I was like, huh, I wonder if I could do some sort of music-related podcast that sits as kind of top of funnel into my piano course. At the time, really, all of the traffic that I had coming in was my YouTube channel. And so I created this podcast where I just interviewed musicians. It was a very original name, Interviews with Inspiring Musicians. And that was my first attempt at creating a podcast. I think we made it through nine episodes. and. It was very difficult to find um, or to get people to want to come on. It was just me. There was nobody else on my team. So I had to do the research, the outreach, and uh, I just got a lot of no's and no responses. Plus, it just wasn't to have a podcast. It wasn't what I was most passionate about, like interviewing musicians. Like I'm way more into interviewing course creators, obviously. This podcast, we're now on episode 162. It's almost four years old now. And that one only lasted nine episodes. The only reason to ever go back and listen to that is just to see how green I was and how <laughs> how bad I was at interviewing people. Not that I'm like world-class at it today, but it's all about getting better each day. And I hope that I'm better at interviewing people today than I was back in 2014. Mm. 
So do, and no, and no, I'm not going to play an episode of that for this audience. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, put one on put one on on video and they could watch it and we could uh, mention it because I think it actually it would be very fascinating. I mean, the biggest thing is it's a journey. Like um, your first episode of this podcast with you and Nate again, it had crummy sound quality, but uh, and and you've matured, you've become a better person since then, but. I mean, it's nice to have those frame of reference things. Yeah. And, and look, like the first few videos on my YouTube channel in 2013, the very first ones are now unlisted, but they're still there and I can go back and look at them and they're so, so bad. <laughs> and I do, I want to, I want to eventually share those with people. And when new course creators or, or, or people being on camera for the first time come to me, they'll show me a video and they're like, how bad is this? I'm like, look, you got a lot of room to grow, but I promise you this is better than my first video, right? And so um, eventually I want to make that more public so you can see, like, let's compare Jacques in 2013 on video to Jacques on on video in 2021. And it's a, it's a huge difference. And not right. it's not because I'm some amazing person. It's just because I've done it over and 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 over again and get better each time. And one thing I like to live by is you always want to try to be better than yourself yesterday and not better than Dr. K or, or somebody else. I think that may actually be one of the, the rules in Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Um, I haven't thought about that book in a while, but uh, that's one of the things I told to my piano bootcamp students, the eight people that I taught my curriculum live to recently. I just kept reminding them, hey, you don't compare yourself to you because there were certainly some students that did better than others. Um, I was like, look, when, when one person does really well, like don't compare where you are to that person. Just compare yourself to you yesterday and make sure right. that you're just getting better yourself. That's one of the keys. Love it. All right. So I didn't know that cooking was something that you viewed essentially as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And so here's a question. Let's say that uh, we do a course creator meetup someday, theoretically down at Jason Dion's place in, in uh, Puerto Rico. <laughs> we have a potluck. What is your what is your dish you're bringing to the potluck? Okay. So potluck is different than if I were responsible for the main dish. Um, so, so potluck is hard because, you know, down here in Cajun country, we like to make big old, big old pots of something. Right. <laughs> and that's that's what I'm best at. So if I were in charge of like the main dish, then I would make a big old jambalaya or big gumbo. Uh one of the two. If it's potluck, um maybe a smaller one. <laughs> a smaller batch of jambalaya? <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I would say my signature one would be spring rolls. So Ooh. have you ever made spring rolls at home? No, I've not made them, but oh. I do enjoy eating them. It is a fun process. There's this point where you like, it's just an experience. And so you put the, the rice paper into this water, let it get soft, and then you get to put whatever you individually want in them. And it's just a fun process. Very cool. So you shared that you now have a full-time transcriptionist. And I was like, what? <laughs> How can that possibly make sense to have a full-time person doing transcription rather than like a, an hourly contractor? So explain how that works. and. It makes sense. Yeah. So I think transcriptions are going to be more and more important. And we are releasing a lot of new courses right now. So we have a lot of course content that needs transcriptions. These podcast episodes need transcriptions. 
Plus, once we roll out all these new courses, we're going to get one of our initiatives is to get more dialed in on our YouTube process, both on the Piano in 21 Days YouTube channel and the Online Course Guy YouTube channel. So we have a lot of content right now and into the future that needs transcription. And I can take files and run them through rev.com. And it's a phenomenal service. It works really well. But they recently went from a dollar to a minute to a dollar twenty-five per minute. And that really adds up. These podcast episodes are getting up to like two hours a piece. So that's $150 per podcast episode. And 150 times four episodes a month, that's six hundred dollars just in rev just for the podcast. Right. And typically. You can find full-time, very talented people in the Philippines for under $1,000 per month. So we're actually saving money by having a full-time person versus using Rev.com. I guess the thing that I don't understand is why wouldn't you just still get an hourly person still based out of the Philippines? Why, why the full-time? Because then they're dedicated, right? Okay. That's, that's a, that's, your question is unrelated to transcription. It goes just in general, part-time versus full-time, which we've had that conversation on the podcast before. But I just felt like we had enough, at least in the short term, for somebody full-time. And uh, the idea, too, is that he won't just do transcription either, right? He, he can do some VA tasks, and we'll see what other skill sets he has as well. He's been very impressive so far. Shout out, Marvin. What's going on? He's listening to this because he's got to transcribe it. Right. And uh, he's doing a great job so far. And we'll see where he ends up fitting exactly within the company. It's possible a year from now, he's not doing any transcription. I doubt it. He seems to enjoy it. But um, it kind of goes back to that idea uh, that I've shared many times from Good to Great by Jim Collins is you want to get the right people on the bus and then figure out where the bus is going. And so uh, we found somebody who seemed to be awesome. He's doing a great job so far. He's on the bus and we don't know exactly where that bus is going, but he's on it. All right. Awesome. Okay. So there was a point where Mike shared just the size of his email list and just how many people were on there. And I think that you, you at one point said that the listeners were probably yelling at their phones. And I felt that emotion a little bit like, oh my gosh, like, does he have this one thing like in place in these emails? And uh, specifically for me, that was like, oh my gosh, like, does he have a deadline working in his products? And and you started heading that direction. And then there was a point where Mike was a little bit more like, hey, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about how you, how you manage a family and a busy course business. Right. Um, But my question for you is, uh, did you actually go through his funnel and see if there's a, a deadline the way that you would recommend it in there? And do you have one specific piece of advice for Mike? There is some kind of deadline because his ads have been following me and they keep saying like sourdough U is closing. I don't think he's using something like deadline funnel, but he has some sort of funnel with some sort of deadline and what it is, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's a price increase because he advertises his course on his site. I think um, I think it's like 197, but for a certain number of days, you can get it for 147, something like that. But what, how, how big did he say his email list was? 300,000? Something like that? <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty big. And, and that, that really caught me off guard because he was talking about how late in the game he started with the email list. So I was expecting it to be smaller based on that, that piece of information. When he said 300,000, I was like, oh, 
my goodness. Um, and so I cert I mean, everybody can can improve. Um, I certainly don't have my business dialed into perfection or anything. I mean, we talked about that book from six to seven figures at the beginning of this episode. There's plenty of different things we could be doing, but I think that there's plenty of things Mike could be doing differently or in addition to what he's doing to monetize his audience even more, serve them even more, right? But he's also doing an awesome job with what he's doing as well. Um, but it's just some of the some of the numbers are just staggering. Two point two million subscribers, three hundred thousand person email list. Mike, if you're listening to this, you're crushing it, man. Keep going. It's yeah. awesome. But there certainly is probably room for improvement on the funnel and in line, I would say. Definitely. But have you have you checked out his website? His website is amazing. Well, I did because I'm getting the same um the Facebook and Instagram ads are following me around the last couple of days. And yes, they have that uh kind of a deadline on that that I get a a discount for the next three days that currently I think it's saying. Right. So yeah, I looked yeah, at it I briefly. Just, so uh, we're, we're coming to the, the end here shortly and, and certainly there'll be called calls to action, but just if you want some website inspiration, uh, everyone listening, prohomecooks.com, really cool. Kind of different than, than, than a lot of websites. It's kind of all on one page for the most part, but it's just, I love the design, the layout, really cool. And of course, check out his YouTube channel as well. It's called Pro Home Cooks on YouTube. So the last thing is just, uh, obviously, I'm not a, a dad. I'm a dog dad. Uh, love my dog, Sage. But uh, enjoyed the discussion about just managing just life in general, children and a course business. And uh, your takeaway, if I had to summarize it, is enjoy the stages. Enjoy the stage that your kids are in. You know, don't say, I can't wait until they stop asking why. I mean, there's going to be a day they don't ask why. And so enjoy that stage where they want want information from you. As far as the course business, um, you have an amazing interview coming up like in the next couple of weeks. And I was so excited about this. I had to go and listen to it ahead, ahead of time. And uh, that interview, it just says more than anything, no matter what stage you're in in this online course business, uh, whether you're grinding, whether you're getting your first bit of success, that first sale. Uh, maybe you're overcoming an obstacle right now, or, or you've had this huge success, and now you're kind of at this plateau, very successful. Just try to enjoy that stage that you're in. And uh, yeah, that'll come up in the, the interview in a couple couple weeks. But I, yeah, and I don't, I don't mind sharing who it is. It's Phil Ebner. And in two weeks, we'll have that episode. Somebody I've been trying to get on the podcast for a long time. He's got over 100 courses. A lot of people are going to be familiar with him. Uh, very, very big on Udemy. He's got his own his own platform as well. So you you listened to that conversation already. I know you were excited too. And uh, yeah, he didn't disappoint. Yeah. Awesome conversation. But to, to your point about the kids too, and like the enjoying the stages, like one thing we do right now that my wife's like, you're going to miss when, when they don't ask for that. Like when my kid, when it's time for bed, like it, this is so random and silly, but my kids like me to carry them upside down to put them in their bed. Oh, funny. I'll grab them by by their two feet and just walk down the hall and then throw them in bed and they just will not go get in bed unless I do that for them and it's 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 adorable and I'm absolutely going to miss the day when they're they don't ask for that anymore have you read this book it's like I'll love you for always about the mom that like yeah rocks or have you read that book yeah the kids the children's book yeah a children's book where eventually like the, the grandma like sneaks into um, her adult son's like dorm room and like rocks him to bed. I have never read that book without crying. <laughs> oh, it's, they read that at Mother's Day at my parents' church. And, and yeah, it's just there isn't a dry eye in the place. What is it actually called? 
It's called, uh, I think just love you forever. Love you forever. And it's just like, yeah, the, the, the mom just has this thing. It, she says to the baby and then to the toddler, to the teenager and so on. And then eventually it switches and the mom's very old. And then he said, I'm like getting emotional now thinking about it. All right. We gotta, we gotta move forward. But yeah, I've absolutely read that, uh, many times. All right. So the last thing, um, it's been a while since you've asked anybody to fill out a podcast review. So for the listeners out there, I mean, Jacques puts a lot of time into this and, uh, just encourage you take a minute and fill out a podcast review. Appreciate all the effort you put into helping people have success with course shock. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. That is always appreciated. Any reviews on all the platforms. Some some of you I don't think you can leave reviews on Spotify, I want to say, but Apple Podcasts you can, Google Podcasts you can. So if you enjoy the the free podcast episodes each week, then uh definitely leave us a review if you don't mind. Appreciate you dropping that. So is that a wrap on your uh your kind of takeaways here, David? Yes. So yeah, once again, a fun conversation. Appreciate Mike Greenfield for joining me for this one. Dr. K, thanks for joining me. All the links and show notes you can find at oc.show slash 162. Thank you everyone out there for listening to another episode. Remember to check out prohomecooks.com. Also Mike's uh, YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search up Pro Home Cooks. And then um, I mentioned the links and show notes, oc.show.162. And then um, if you want to find out about my programs, if, if you think there's uh, ways I might be able to help you more on your information at theonlinecourseguy.com. That's going to do it for this episode, number 162. Until next time, get out there and make some next level courses that have transformation and not just information. Bye, everyone.